please bless this time. Father, I understand we come in heavy hearts tonight, and especially for those of us who personally knew Ms. Shari and to hear of her death is uh, not easy. But Father, I ask that you would please help our church people, Lord, to have hope in the fact that there is a resurrection and the fact that there is a time we will see each other again. And Of course, I understood when we started this church that we would see people who were part of our midst go on to heaven and never ready for it. Lord, we ask that you would just help us for the next few moments as we go through your word, Matthew chapter 7. Apply it to our lives, Lord. Help us to be comforted by your word. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're there in Matthew chapter 7, and Matthew 7 is the text that we're, uh, we're supposed to be in tonight. If you remember last week, we were in Matthew 7. We dealt with the first part of the chapter. This week, we'll deal with the latter part. Uh, beginning at verse number 13, we, started, uh, we ended last week at verse number 12. If you remember last week, we talked about those practical life lessons that Christ had uh, for us there. And in Matthew chapter number 7 and verse 13, you find a very uh, famous passage. It says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be. That find it. And you know, as we go through the rest of this passage in, in Matthew chapter 7, you're going to find that there is uh, several uh, pairs of things that God, that Jesus is describing. And so he, he keeps bringing up two uh, of different examples. And the first example you see here is that there are two ways. He says, there are two ways, and honestly, there are two choices for where someone will spend eternity. Here, he says, look, he says, enter ye in at the straight gate. Now, I want you to notice that word straight. Do you see that it's spelled S-T-R-A-I-T? Do you see that word straight? Okay, that is not the same word as what we would uh, spell S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. Do you understand what I'm saying? The G-H-T, the word straight, means extending or moving uniformly in one direction without curve or bend. It's straight. But the word straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, is not that word straight. And it's not because the King James Bible is old. That is a modern word. The word straight means narrow. That's what it means. It means limited in space. Uh, um, you know, I, I was looking up an example, a modern day example. M- you, uh, many of you, I'm sure you've heard of the Strait of uh, Gibraltar. And, uh, you know, the word straight simply means narrow. And, and Jesus is describing, and he's emphasizing. He says, enter ye in at the straight gate. And he says, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. He says, look, the way that leads you to destruction, the way that leads you to hell, the way that leads you to destroying you, that's a wide gate. That's a broad way. Now, you need to notice, look at verse 13. And, let's read that word together. And many. Let's read it again. And many. 
Let's read it one more time. And many. Okay, you need to understand. Many there be which go in thereat. You will do yourself a favor as a Christian if you get it into your head that most people that live on this earth are going to die and go to hell. Most people, most people on earth will not go to heaven. Most will go down the wide gate, the broad way, which leadeth to destruction. Look at verse 14. Because straight, narrow, is the gate, and narrow, to emphasize the point, is the way which leadeth unto life. And, let's read this word together, few. Let's read it again. And few there be that find it. You need to understand this. Most people in this world are going to hell. Most people in this world are headed towards destruction. Sometimes people say to me, you know, well, well, most people are doing this, so your, your church should do it, because most churches are doing it. You know, my dad taught me a long time ago, if most people are doing something, it's probably the wrong thing to be doing. The thing that most people are doing, I, mean, just, I don't even know, I don't even know what it is, 99% of the time, it's the wrong thing. You know that there's more drunkards out there than there are doctors? Which one would you say is better? Well, most people are drunkards. Does that make it right? Few people do the straight and narrow path. I'm not saying being a doctor is the greatest thing ever. I'm just trying to illustrate the point that most people do wrong. Most people go down the wide, the broad, and few go down the straight and the narrow. Most people in this world are going to hell. If you need to write that down, if you need to uh, circle it, if you need to put that next to your Bible, just highlight this, this idea. Most people are going to hell. You say, why do you guys go out soul winning? Why did, you know, Brother Ron and I went out soul winning for a couple hours this afternoon before church. You know, we go out soul winning on Saturdays. We go out soul winning on Saturday afternoon. We have a group that goes out on Sunday. We have a group, I mean, we try to send people out every chance we get. You say, why do you go out knocking on doors? Why do you go preach the gospel? Why do you uh, uh, tell people about Jesus Christ? Why do you do that? Because most people are going to hell, that's why. Do there be that find it? Now, skip down to verse 21. We're going to go through the passage, but let me just skip down to verse 21. Let me give you another thought that some of you need to put in your head. Not only are most people in this world going to hell, but you need to understand this. Many religious people in this world are going to hell. You know, Christians get this idea. Anybody who says, I'm a Christian. Anybody who has a Bible. Anybody who goes to any church of any sort, for any reason, any length of time, they must be saved. I'm going to tell you, that is a lie. You say, prove it from the Bible. Look at verse 21. Matthew 7, 21. Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me. He's talking about the day of judgment. He's talking about the day that people are judged and cast into hell. Now, notice what he says. Not Real quickly, keep your finger in Matthew 7 and go to John chapter number 6. 
Because some people take this verse and they say, see, you got to do the will of the Father. That means you got to live a good life. That means you got to repent of your sins. That means you got to get baptized. And they try to add works to this verse. But let me ask you a question. What is, if, if Jesus said, hey, simply saying, Lord, Lord, isn't going to get you to heaven. You've got to do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Then the next question should be this. What is the will of the Father? I mean, is, it, is, that a, is that a proper next question to ask? If Jesus says, you've got to do the will of the Father, then the next question would be, well, what is the will of the Father? You're there in John chapter 6, look at verse 40. John 6, 40. And this is the will of Him that sent me. Now, Jesus speaking, who sent Him? The Father. There's multiple verses that said that He, are, that he is sent by the Father. So we're going to find out the will of the Father here. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, and, notice this word, believeth on him. Do you see that? May have everlasting life. He said, you've got to do the will of the Father. Well, what's the will of the Father? Believe on him. That's what it says. Is that not what the Bible says? The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So look, when people start trying to add works to salvation, you got to understand, Jesus said, hey, what will get you into heaven is doing the will of my Father, and He said Himself, and this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Praise God. That's the resurrection. How do you get resurrected? Believe on Him. How do you get saved? Believe on Him. How do you do the will of the Father? The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now go back to Matthew 7. Let me just, let, let, let's, let's take this slowly. Matthew 7, look at verse 22. So he said, you, gotta, he said, you know, just calling Lord, Lord won't get you into heaven. He said, you've got to do the will of the Father. But let me, let's take it even a step further. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. Hey, Pastor Manus, what, what sermon outline are you preaching? I'm just preaching the sermon of Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount. Look at Matthew 7, verse 22. Look what he says, Matthew 7, 22. Many, do you see that word? That means a lot. That means a multitude. Many will say to me in that day. In that day, it's referring to the day of judgment. Notice what they're going to say to them. They're going to say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? The word prophesied means to preach. That means there's going to be some preachers standing before Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, Lord, but I prophesied, I preached in your name. You know what that tells me? Some preachers are going to hell. But I thought everybody who was religious was going to go to heaven. That's not what Jesus said. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, not prof- have we not prophesied in thy name? Look at what. And in thy name have cast out devils. I saw this preacher casting out a devil on TV. Hey, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to heaven. Now notice, he, he wraps it up right here. Look at last phrase, first way too. And in thy name. Done many wonderful... Let's read this word together. Works. Let's read that. Let's just read that phrase. In thy name done many wonderful works. you got to understand this. Works don't get you to heaven. You, you go out soul winning with me. You knock on doors. We, Brother Ron and I just knocked on a door uh, just, just a few hours ago. Ask a young, uh, a, a young man, you, do you know if you're on your way to heaven? He said, oh, I think, I, I think I'm going to get to heaven. What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Well, I live a pretty good life. I mean, I, try, I really try not, I try not to harm anybody. I try to just do good things and do what God tells me to do. I, I try to live a good life. And look, I'm here to tell you, that, that young man, probably compared to in human standards, is a very good individual. But good people do not go to heaven. Forgiven people do. 
And simply living a good life won't get you that. And Jesus said, look, in that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in the name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And look at what he says, verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Now notice what, he's, what he didn't say. He didn't say, I used to know you. He said, I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye that work iniquity. Now keep your finger there in Matthew 7. We're, we're studying Matthew 7 on Wednesday nights. Go to Galatians. Let me give you a few cross references. Galatians chapter number 4. Notice that Jesus said, depart from me. He, he, people are going to say, well I went to church. Well I taught Sunday school. Well I read the Bible. Well I preached. Well I gave. Well I volunteered. But I did many wonderful works. Lord, Lord, I did many wonderful works. And he's going to say, here's the problem. I never knew you. He said, depart from me. You that work iniquity. Now, now notice, Galatians 4.9 kind of brings us together. Galatians 4.9, are you there? Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. Galatians 4.9. I want you to see this verse. I'll wait a moment for you to get there. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. But now, this is Paul speaking. <laughs> After that, ye have known God. Now notice, I like how Paul does this. Under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, of course. He says, after that ye have known God. So he says, look, you've known God. He's talking to Christians. He says, you've known God. And then he, he corrects himself. He says, but now, comma, do you see that? After that ye have known God, comma. And then Paul corrects himself. He says, or rather are known of God. Do you see that? What did Jesus say to the people before he told them to depart? I never knew you. See, you got to understand this. It doesn't matter if you know God. What matters is, does God know you? How do you get to heaven? Well, I know about Jesus Christ. Well, it doesn't really matter what you know. Does He know you? Does God know you? He said, depart from me, I never knew you. Go to John, chapter number 10. John, he says, Paul said, but now, after you have known God, or rather, are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. He says, look, you have been known of God. He says, you have to be known of God. Go to John, chapter number 10. John, chapter number 10. Look at verse 14. John, chapter 10, verse 14. John, you're there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John, chapter 10, verse 14. Notice what Jesus says. John 10, 14. He says, I... I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. Now notice what he says. And know my sheep. And am known of mine. The question is not, do you know God? The question is, does God know you? You know what's interesting? I, I won't take the time to take you there. But in Luke 16, you find the story, the true account. It's not a parable. I preached on it a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to take the time to develop it. But in Luke 16, you find the story. Remember the, the rich man and Lazarus? Now, I, don't, I don't know if this is true. I've heard this, and it, it sounds interesting. I'm telling you right now, I, I'm not saying that I'm completely sold on this idea. But you know what's interesting is, Lazarus, the beggar, the saved man, he's named in that parable, right? We know his name, Lazarus. Do we know the name of the rich man? How do we know? We just, he's referred to as who? Just the rich man. Because, you know, it's interesting to think, maybe he's in hell, and maybe, maybe, you know, when Luke was writing those scriptures, and the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he began to write, and he, and he began to speak, as the Holy Ghost came upon him, maybe, you know, I can imagine Luke's writing, and he writes the name of Lazarus, and then he wonders, well, what's the name of this rich man? And God is thinking, I don't know, I never knew him. Uh, what's his name? I don't know. I don't, I don't know who that guy is. I never knew him. See, you got to understand. It's, it's, you say, well, well, so-and-so, they know about God. Okay, but does God know about them? Well, so-and-so, they, they, they've been, you know, I, I've exposed them to religion. But has God been exposed to them? It's not 
Do you know God? It's because does God know you? He says, I never knew you. He says, I know my sheep. He says, you are rather are known of God. There are two ways. There are two choices. There are two places you can end up. Heaven, hell, life, destruction. What choice will you make? Now go to Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 13. He says there are two ways. In verse 15, he gets on a different subject. Jesus says not only are there two ways, he says there are two trees. Now notice verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets. Now, what is a prophet? A prophet is a preacher. A prophet is a spiritual leader. It's someone you would look at in a spiritual leadership capacity. This could be, you know, like a pastor. Like, like someone that you look at and, and say, you know, they are supposed to be leading the church. Uh, you know, at Verity Baptist Church, I'm the pastor of the church. I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader of the church. That's what pastors are supposed to do. But notice what Jesus said. He says, beware of false prophets. Now notice, how does a, does a false prophet show up and say, now listen everyone, I am a false prophet. <laughs> and I am here to corrupt you. And to teach you false doctrine. Is that what they do? Notice what Jesus said. Beware of false prophets. How do they come? Which come to you in sheep's clothing. See, when a false prophet shows up, see, because you've got the pastor and you've got the sheep, right? But when the prophet, the false prophet shows up, he looks just like a sheep. Which come to you in sheep's clothing. Here's a problem. But inwardly, they are ravening wolves. Here's what you got to get. You do not judge a preacher by the way he looks. You understand that? Let me clue you in on something. You don't judge this preacher by the way he looks. Now, I know I look pretty good. <laughs> when I'm talking about looks, I'm talking about the exterior. Sometimes people say to me, Oh, so Pastor so-and-so, he's being used of God. Oh, really? Why do you say that? Well, have you seen his building? Have you seen the car he drives? He was preaching last Sunday. He had a Rolex on, and he had this nice suit. <laughs> Who told you that's how you judge godliness? You don't judge a preacher, a prophet, by the exterior. So how do you judge it? Look at verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Now look, this verse is often taken out of context. A lot of people take this verse and they say, see, you, you, they apply this to Christians. They'll say, you know, I'm going to know every Christian by their fruits. But is that the context of Matthew 7, 16? Who shall you know by their fruits? A false prophet. Do you understand that? It's not there to judge other Christians. It's there to judge preachers. It's there to judge ministries. Now let me just back up and say this, because we dealt with this in Matthew last week in, in, in chapter 7, verse 1. Remember verse 1 of chapter 7? Judge not that ye be not judged. Now the liberals teach, see, you're never supposed to judge anyone for any reason, under any circumstances. Don't judge anyone at all. Now if that's true, which is not, and we dealt with it last week, but if that's true, then why is Jesus then telling us to know someone by their fruits? Is he not telling us to judge? He says examine the fruit. He said, don't examine the exterior. Don't examine what they look like. Don't examine how successful they look. Examine what they produce. Do you understand that? That's what fruit is. It's what you produce. He said, you shall know them, Matthew 7, 16. You shall know them by their fruits. He says, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Do you go to a thorn bush and get grapes from a thorn bush? No, you go to a grapevine and get grapes, right? 
Do you go to a fig tree and get thistles? No, you go to a whatever thistles grow off of, because I have no clue. You go to the store and get those, you know, Newton thistle things or whatever. I don't know. What does a thistle grow on? A plant, I guess? You know, but here's what I do know. Do you go to an apple tree and get an orange? Do you go to an orange tree? Do oranges grow on trees? Yeah, I think they do. Do you go to an orange tree and get bananas? Here's what he's saying. Now, now notice what he says. Look at verse 17. Even so. The words even so mean in the same way. He says in the same way that you go to an apple tree and you get apples, and you go to an orange tree and you get oranges, and you go to a fig tree and get figs. He says, Matthew 7, 17, Even so, in the same way, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree bringeth not forth good fruit, is hewed down and cast into the fire. Verse 20, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. This verse is not telling us to judge people's salvation, it's telling us to judge people's ministries by their fruit. Here's what I'm trying to explain to you. Don't decide whether someone's a good preacher because they're on TV all over America. Don't decide whether someone's a good preacher because they have such a nice building, because they drive such a nice vehicle, because they seem to be so successful. You judge the fruit. You all know if Pastor Jimenez is a false prophet, judge my fruit. Judge what I produce. Talk to the people that come to Verity Baptist Church. Ask them about their salvation. Ask them. This week, and I don't mean to put anybody on the spot, but this week I've had two or three different people come up to me thanking me, saying, because of your sermon, I've got this major sin out of my life. And they didn't share with me exactly the sin, but they said, you know what that tells me? We're producing good fruit. You go to these churches, you know, there's a thousand people, but they're all drunks, they're all living in fornication, they're all reading the wrong Bible, half of them don't even know they're saved, half of them are just there for a social club. Hey, I'm not impressed with those buildings, I'm impressed with the fruit. Don't judge the fruit, the tree, judge the fruit. Do you understand that? Don't judge the exterior, judge what they produce. He says, by their fruit, you shall know them. So here's what you're saying. You've got two, two ways to go. Heaven, hell, life, destruction. He said, but there are two choices for spiritual leadership. You know, some people come to Verity Baptist Church and literally say these words to me. They say, this is the greatest preaching I've ever heard. And I think, well, praise the Lord. I mean, I've never been to a church that taught so much Bible. Well, praise God. But you guys don't have enough ministries to keep me here. <laughs> you know, people, somebody said to me, I'll tell them about it, they were asking questions. I asked them about the new building. Or they, they asked me, where are you meeting? I said, oh, we're in a new building. And he said, oh, what kind of building is that? I said, well, we're in this industrial park thing. Oh, really? You don't have a freestanding church building? You might as well, good night. When are we going to get rid of this? I mean, before we were in the house. Oh, you're in the house. Then we were in the, in the storefront building. Oh, you're in a storefront building. Now we're in a 4,700 square foot building. And they're like, well, it's not an industrial park. I mean, people are never <laughs> and you know what? Once we have a nice big old building, they're just going to complain about something else. You don't choose spiritual leadership based on the way they look because a wolf always dresses up like a sheep when he comes to destroy. By their fruits, you shall know them. Look at, go, go, go to Matthew chapter 7. So we saw two ways, we saw two trees. Let's look at two foundations. Now, I preached a whole sermon on this parable just a few weeks ago. So I'm not going to deal with it a lot, but I want you to see a few things. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, here's the key, and doeth them, 
I will liken him unto a wise man. Would any of who? I, I don't know. Let, let me, just raise, raise your hand. If you would like Jesus Christ to call you a wise person, would, would you take that compliment? Would, okay, let me ask this. Would you like Jesus Christ to call you a foolish person? I don't think any of us would, right? Now, Jesus is about to explain to us what you've got to do for him to consider you a wise individual. Look at verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. Why? For it was founded upon the rock. Now keep your finger there in Matthew 7. Go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Matthew chapter 7. We're almost done. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter number 6. In Luke 6, you'll find the parallel passage to this. You'll find Matthew tells us a story in Matthew 7, and then Luke tells us his version of it when he wrote it down in Luke chapter 6. And we've got to compare both to get... Now, I'm not going to preach on this parable, because I I, I spent a a, a whole hour preaching on this parable just a few weeks ago, but I want to just bring a few things to your attention. Luke chapter 6, notice what it says. Luke chapter 6, verse 47, Luke 6, 47. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you... uh, I, I will show you... To whom he is like. He said, let me show you what this guy's like. Verse 48. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And I want you to make note of this word, when. You see that word? It's not if, it's when. The flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it for it was founded upon the rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without the foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. Here's what I want you to understand. It's not if a storm is going to come. It's when the storm is going to come. You understand that? There, we, we preach a lot about this, because we need to hear it. There are storms of life. There are trials and struggles and tribulations and hard times you and I are going to go through. Being a Christian does not exempt you of going through the storm. It's not, people say, well, if a storm comes, it's not if, buddy, it's when it's coming. It's on its way. He, I mean, look at verse 48. He is like a man which built his house and digged it deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, not if. I'm just going to tell you, the flood's coming. I'm here to tell you, hard times are coming, tough times are coming, financially hard, with your children you'll have struggles, in your marriages you'll have struggles, you may deal with the death of a loved one, you may deal with the death of someone that you are close to. You, look, I'm here to tell you, it's not if, it's when. The storm is coming. Go, go back to Matthew chapter 7. So what makes you wise? What makes you a wise person? Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them. Here's a key word. Do it then. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the flood came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell not. Why? For it was founded upon a rock. That's Jesus Christ. Amen. You, need to, you need to understand this. You say, what makes somebody a wise man? Okay. Would well, you consider this a wise person? Someone says to me, I'm going to build a house. I said, hey, there is a nice, strong, rock bed foundation right here for you to build your house. And they hear it, 
they see it, and then they go build their house over in the sand anyway. What would you call that? I know what Jesus would call them. Foolish. What would a wise person do? Say, hmm, there's a rock, there's a foundation, there's a stability. I can't stop the storm from coming, but when the storm does come, I want to make sure I'm found upon the rock. And then you build your house, you build your life, you build your structure upon the rock. You can't stop the storm from coming, but when it comes, you'll be on the rock. That's a wise man. What does a foolish man do? Verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine... But here's the difference. Now look, both heard it. Here's the difference. And doeth them not. That shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. James called it being a forgetful hearer. Verse 27. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Why did it fall? Because it wasn't upon the rock, it was upon the sand. You've you got to understand this. Please understand this. And I'm not trying to be rude, I'm not trying to be mean, but just understand this. People sometimes say, a storm came into my life, Pastor, and it caused me to, to not be strong. And the truth of the matter is, the storm did not cause you to fall. The storm simply revealed what was already in your heart. There was no foundation. See, you come to a church like this, where you get solid Bible preaching. You get biblical, I mean, you, we, we inject you with the Word of God. We give you the Bible. You hear it. You understand it. I mean, so how many of you were here on Friday night when we had that New World Order Bible versions? I mean, was that clear on the doctrine of the Word of God, on the doctrine of the King James Bible, on the, the, the purity of God's Word, the attack on the modern Bible versions, the attack on the deity of Jesus Christ, the attack on the, uh, on the plan of salvation, the, the, the attack on the word of God itself. You say, why is this so important? Uh, why does it matter if they're attacking? The Bible says that ye are, we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. We are saved by the word of God. So I need an incorruptible seed. Do you understand that? And yet, people will walk out of this church and go to some church that preaches out of the NIV, preaches out of the New King James, preaches out of the American Standard, says, ah, it's no big deal. Ah, sure, it's just corrupting the Word of God. Who cares? You're a forgetful hearer. It's not that you didn't hear it, it's that you didn't do anything with it. You know, you know, people will walk out of this church and go to some church that there's no soul winning, go to some church where there's no Bible preaching, go to some church where it's a rock concert for an hour and 15 minutes, and the pastor gets up for 5 or 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes if you're lucky, turns to one verse and attempts to give you 13 stories about something he did that was great, and then goes on his merry way. And you call that church. And what happened? It's not that they didn't hear it, but they heard it, they didn't apply it. What does Jesus call that? Foolishness. What makes you wise? You hear it, and then you say, Hey, you know what? I think I'm going to build my house there. I think I'm going to build my life there. I think I'm going to build my children there. Go to Matthew 7, look at verse 28. We're done. We're done right here. I'm in the conclusion. Look at it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished. They were amazed at His doctrine. Look at verse 29. For he taught them as one having authority. I don't mean to say this in a proud way, and I hope you don't take it this way. But, you know, one of the... I love it when, when a visitor comes and... Is, I've, I've had a few visitors, and I don't think they're familiar with this passage. I've had a few visitors come to this church and say, Man, you really preach with authority. 
You know what gives you that authority? And to be honest with you, you, you may or may not know this, I, I'm constantly like second guessing everything. I mean, I'm just like, I can't, you know, it's really hard for me sometimes. I want to make sure I make the right choice. You, I mean, ask my wife. I'm constantly just like using her as my helpmate, you know, and just sounding things off for them. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Well, what if this happened? You know, it's really, you, but, but you, I get up to preach and it's just the word of God. You say, what gives you that authority? Because it's the word of God. Amen. See, I don't, I don't have to second guess. Am I giving the right uh, marriage counseling here? Am I telling you the right thing on how to raise your kids? Am I really telling you, look, it's God's word. As long as I'm doing God's word, as long as I'm preaching God's word, hey, I have no problem with the authority. It's God. Now, if I stood up with some NIV where it's like, well, I don't really know if this is really what it says, and hopefully this is, yeah, I can see why they only preach for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Not even sure of what they're saying is the word of God. He preached with authority. Why? Because for the first time they had the living word, Jesus Christ. 25, 29. For he thought them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Let me show you two verses. We're done. Two verses. Luke chapter 6, Matthew 15. We'll look at those and we'll be done. Luke chapter 6, Matthew 15. Luke chapter 6, Matthew 15. Remember the religious guy? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name do many wonderful works. Lord, Lord, Lord. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Luke 6, 46. That's what Jesus said. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You see that? See, Jesus is not impressed with you calling him Lord. He's not impressed with you giving him lip service. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things I tell you to do? Why, why, why do you call me Lord, and when my word is preached, you say, well, take it or leave it, no big deal. Go to Matthew 15, verse 8. We're done right here. Matthew 15, verse 8. Matthew 15, 8. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said this. Jesus said this in his day, and it's true today. Matthew 15, verse 8. Matthew 15, verse 8. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips. Here's a problem. Their heart is far from me. See, look, when people get this attitude, well, I know that's what the Bible says, but, you know, I just grew up, and that's what I was taught. And, well, no, I see it clearly. I, I see that the Bible said, you know, you show someone like 15 verses that say it's not a works, not a works, not a works, not a works. Well, I still think that it may be a works. You're a foolish individual, my friend. I hear what you're saying, but I just think that it may still be. You heard it, but you didn't apply it. Drawing nigh with your lips, you're saying, Lord, Lord, why don't you start doing the things that he said? You get two choices. Two choices. Broadway to straight way. Heaven, hell, life, destruction. Hey, but you get two choices of where you have your your spiritually fed. You can go to a church and maybe the building is not that impressive. I like this building. Amen. <laughs> but the word of God is preached. Amen. Or you can go to a rock concert where it's impressive and everybody, oh, look at those stage lights and look at those drums and look at but where's, where's the proof? Where's the word of God? You can build your life on the sand. Or you can build your life on the rock. Bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. Lord, I love Wednesday night Bible study because anybody who gets upset with a sermon on Wednesday night, I have the privilege of saying, hey, look, we were in Matthew chapter 7 because a couple weeks ago we were in Matthew chapter 6 and before that we were in Matthew chapter 7, uh, chapter 6, chapter 5, and next week we'll be in Matthew chapter 8. 
we're just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, studying God's Word in its context. And I just believe that if we study God's Word, it'll change our lives. But I pray you'd help this group tonight to not be forgetful hearers. To take the Word and then apply it to their lives. It's not enough to know where the foundation is, not enough to know where the rock is, but then build on it. Father, we love you. I pray, Lord, you'd be with Kenya and Imani and Sharon. I pray, Lord, you'd be with our church people. I know many here did not know Shari, but many did. We were a family, and we laughed, and we fought. We got along, and we disagreed, but we were always family. Lord, I pray you'd be with her family at this time. Give her the grace. Give her the peace she needs. They need. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen. <laughs>